Welcome back, readers. This is Jason from Reading While Black, and I just wanted to, you know, first say, how you guys doing? <laughs> um, it's been, obviously, a couple weeks since an episode has been released. We are in the month of December, so hopefully you have started reading Casey Gerald's There Will Be No Miracles. Um, if you haven't checked out our prior episodes that we released in the month of November, um, we have a couple. Uh, remember that you can listen to um, uh, my interview with Basi Ikpi, where we discuss her book, I'm Telling the Truth But I'm Lying. You can also check out our sit-down with Mr. David Johns from the National Black Justice Coalition, um, my conversation with Shaniqua Davis and Victoria Kirby York from the LGBTQ Task Force. Um, you can also check out um, my sit-down with uh, campaign manager for Julian Castro, Maya Rupert, and our sit-down with the Michigan House State Representative for District 11, Joel Jones, the youngest State House representative in the state of Michigan. These are a lot of great conversations, um, and I don't want you guys to miss out on that since we've started season two. But today, we're here actually to talk about a piece from our December Book of the Month author, Casey Gerald. Um, before we started reading um, There Will Be No Miracles here, I wanted you guys to get a chance to get a feel for the author that we're, you know, obviously about to read and his work. Um, so I put out a couple of links in the other podcasts that we've listened to, um, one in particular for an essay that Casey wrote entitled um, Where Do We Go From Here? The Black Art of Escape. Um, and it was an essay specifically, you know, discussing the 400 year anniversary since the first enslaved people were brought to this country um, from the Western shores of Africa. And I really wanted to sit down, you know, have a conversation about this piece, but I also had recently seen the new movie Queen and Slim, which screenwriter is Lena Waithe, who I'm a, somewhat of a big fan of. And I wanted to sit down and I wanted to have a conversation about the film. I left the film feeling many, many different ways um, with many, many different emotions uh, and critiques about the film. And I wanted to get a chance to sit down and speak with someone about how I felt about it. And I felt like what better person than a three-time returning uh, special guest, Miss Kia Speaks. Um, so I called Kia and asked her, would she, you know, be able to come down and, you know, discuss the pod? We were talking about it on the Twitter timeline, and she was like, absolutely, let's do it. So um, this is a conversation not only about that literary piece, because we always have to bring it back to books, um, but this will be our first uh, film review. So heavy spoilers ahead. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> if you haven't seen the book, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, I apologize. Um, and also make sure that you read the essay before you listen to this podcast as well. Or if it gets you intrigued about reading it, it is very lengthy. So I will say it takes a little bit of time uh, to get through it. Um, I read it in parts because I want to say it is in about three parts. Um, part two is more so where we center our conversation around protest as it relates to the film around um, a particular scene in the movie, which I won't give away for anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, and, you know, we just kind of go from there and just have a really, really deep, meaningful conversation. Um, but before we get into that conversation, uh, first things first, um, we have a voice message that was sent to us 
by someone and we wanted to make sure that we give that person uh, a shout out. Um, his name is M. Jason Graham and he's a writer and we're actually about to hear his question right now. And going forward for anyone who sends in a voice message, whether it be a question for myself, whether it be a review of the podcast, whether it be a question for the author, whether it be a book suggestion or anything that you guys are feeling, you know you guys can always leave a voice message. The link to leave a voice message is in every bio of every episode. Um, and it's also on our website link as well under the podcast. So you guys can always stop by there and you know leave us any type of review, just what you're loving about the podcast. So let's hear what Mr. Graham has to say. So my name is M. Jason Graham, and I am a writer, and I love your content. I was actually looking for uh, black book reviews, but everything that you've been doing, I'm just uh, fascinated by it. Um, I was actually interested in what you about a number of things, but particularly about buying houses in Alabama. And I am a writer who teaches other writers how to do world building. So teaching people how to create multiple properties. And I, um, I want to teach that in Alabama, but I don't really know how to get in touch with people to do that. Anyway, um, please contact me on here. I haven't started yet, but with a podcast, because I'm planning to do that. Uh, hopefully you'll get back in touch with me. Take care. First off, uh, Mr. Graham, just want to say thank you for uh, submitting a voice message. It's really cool um, to be able to, you know, put these out on the podcast and uh, for you to be our first um, is actually really, really dope. Uh, first and foremost, if you're interested in uh, moving to uh, the state of Alabama, um, it is not what people say it is. Um, it is not as country as people say it is. I love the city of Montgomery. I'm actually... Um, sitting in the third floor cupola that uh, overlooks the city of downtown Montgomery right now um, on this rainy Friday morning. And I'm really, really happy that you were able to submit a question. Um, to teach a class like that, I would have to actually reach out to a couple of people, but the first place that I'll start is actually where I'm currently employed, and that's at Alabama State University, which is an HBCU here located um, right a couple miles from downtown Montgomery. Um, I'll reach out to the English department and uh, see if they're interested in that type of venture or if they're doing something that's similar to that where maybe you can come in, they do need more professors. So if you're looking to teach, um, I think what better place than, you know, our future writers um, that are right here, you know, at our historically black colleges and universities. Um, next thing, if you're creating a podcast, you know, always remember that um, to take your time, be thorough, think long and hard about what you're attempting to, you know, create and um, be intentional in the work that you're doing. Um, I think it's very, very ambitious to um, to create a podcast around, you know, 
writing especially and like giving people tips and tricks because um, I am not a writer. <laughs> I am a podcaster. I do a little bit of writing, but it's more so just around writing, you know, scripts for the podcast. But um, world building is very, very important in literary art, especially in fiction um, and even in nonfiction for that matter. Uh, but what I will say is I'll also reach out to a friend of mine who is a former colleague uh, from the Southern Poverty Law Center by the name of John Paul Taylor. He is the director of the Voting Rights Division, which is uh, based in um, Atlanta, Georgia. But he also has a, um, a poetry house and a bookstore located in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And um, I'll also reach out to him to see just um, what he can do and uh, what people he knows um, just off top. But to contact me, um, simply please, first and foremost, you can always um, send us an email, um, readingwildblackbc uh, at gmail.com. Um, that is readingwildblackbc at gmail.com. Um, you can always DM us at readingwildblack or readingwildblk, rather, at uh, Twitter, on Instagram. You can also uh, shoot me a DM um, on my personal Twitter page on drtgif, that's drtgif. You can send us a message on Facebook. Our Facebook page is Reading Wild Black Book Club. Um, so there's tons of different ways that you can contact me personally, and I definitely want to help you out with this, um, especially because this podcast is not possible without friends. Um, I always say, you know, almost three years ago, because we're coming up on our three-year anniversary, this podcast started off with a tweet. Um, I asked uh, my friends on Black Twitter, you know, hey, if why don't we create, you know, this black Twitter book club? And where I thought that people were going to ignore me, people embraced me, um, people listened, and people wanted to help. Um, we don't get our first interview with Dr. Michael Eric Dyson without people like Jamil Lemieux on Twitter, who's been, you know, a friend of mine now for several years, you know, via the internet. Um, we don't get interviews about, you know, Gucci Man without people like Kia Smith, or like Reggie Cunningham. Um, Kia has now been on the podcast, you know, now three times because she'll be on the podcast today. Um, we don't get interviews with Mr. David Johns from the National Black Justice Coalition. He's not just, you know, one of the most brilliant minds I've ever met um, and had a chance to sit down with, but I call him a friend and also a brother. Um, another brother that I have, you know, in this long list of family that I've met through protests and activism and organizing. Um, I met him while fighting for Shakisha Clemens and he was fighting for Anthony Wall, both people who were assaulted and wrongfully arrested in Waffle House back in 2018. And so this does not come without work. Um, you know, the interviews with, you know, Victoria or Shaniqua or Maya or Joelle, all of those interviews are possible because of Tiffany Lofton, the NAACP Youth and College Director who opened up their space in Detroit, allowing me to record there um, while I was there for, you know, that weekend and those several days. So none of this is without connection so um, I will double down on that you know people have opened doors for me and I always say that I will never walk through a door without dragging about five people with me and making sure that those five people are dragging five other people through that door 
Um, so I will do all that I can um, to help you out in that venture. And also remember, you know, if you're starting a podcast, not a shameless plug, but shameless plug, use Anchor, um, the best podcasting um, feature and platform that you can use uh, for podcasting right now. Um, and just the fact that it puts it on 11 different platforms, 10 to 11 different platforms for you free of charge. You know, obviously you're able to monetize your own content with minimal listenership. Um, you're able to create, you know, ads and commercials for yourself. Um, and also people are able to support, you know, what you're doing monthly if they want to make monthly, you know, support payments. If, you know, they're up for that, anything from 99 cents up to $10, you know, a month. So those things are always important. Um, and it keeps, you know, the creative content, you know, making sure that people are supporting you, you know, as much as they can, even by listening to you, helps the content that you're creating. Um, and I hope that I was able to answer your question. And like I said, anything that I couldn't answer, you know, always feel free to, you know, hit me up in the DMs um, or email us and I will, you know, contact you as soon as possible. Um, so thank you so much, Mr. Graham. We really appreciate it. Uh, once again, and we're going to pay some bills real quick. And after we pay some bills, the next voice you will hear will be myself and Miss Kia Speaks, where we will be talking about the Black Art of Escape and Queen and Slim. to Reading Well Black Podcast. This is Jason, your host, and I have a very special guest with me. Um, Three-time returning guest. Uh, She's one of my favorites. (laughs) Sort of like my unofficial big sister. Um, uh, Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back, Miss Kia Speaks. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be back for the third time. We have fun every time. We have good conversations. Yes, we do. Um, I don't think it ever gets old having you on the show. It'll just be a permanent co-host. But we are here today to really, you know, kick off, you know, the new book of the month, which is Casey Gerald. There will be no miracles here, um, which you can pick up uh, anywhere online. And also make sure you pick it up at your local bookstore. Um, If you're in the Montgomery area, you can pick it up at 1977 Books, which Kia, you gotta come to Montgomery and come to this bookstore. Um, not just because this is a shameless plug, but it is actually a liberation bookstore. Um, so all of the books that are there are centered around organizing and freedom and um, I need to do el- that. Eliminating the patriarchy and the misogyny that you know cripples this nation um, and its people, um, which is absolutely amazing. That's nice. Yeah, Allison and Steph, who are the owners of uh, 1977 Books, are just two amazing individuals that I've had the pleasure of, you know, calling them my friends. And not only that, but just being able to see what it's already become so quickly. Uh um, I've just been absolutely amazed with the space and just the books available. And when I told them, you know, what I was doing with Reading My Black, you know, they quickly told me, like, hey, we will get the book. Just tell us what it is. And I was like, awesome. Oh, I need to come to Montgomery to the museum as well. So that is on my to-do list, and I'm going to have to make my way there soon. Top of the year. You can always come to Goat House, you know. 
um, where there is an Airbnb available. Um, and it's like the best rated and like right around the corner from actual um well like I'm walking distance from the memorial right now. Like Oh, that's great. Maybe like a fifteen, twenty minute walk. Maybe less than that. I'm not walking that in January, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to be clear right now. It is driving distance. It's five minutes driving distance. Okay. Um, we will have to drive. <laughs> okay. But um I mentioned freedom. Um, and because the reason that I asked you to come onto the podcast, one, because we were having a conversation online about food and slim. Um, I had okay. saw the movie prior to you and you told me you were going to go see it, you know, this coming weekend, um, which is now past. And I believe you saw it on, what day was that? Sunday? Yesterday. Yeah. Yes, Sunday. On, I saw it on Sunday. And, um, the reason why I wanted to kick off the podcast by talking about Queen and Slim because I wanted to uh, talk about Casey's uh, essay that he wrote earlier this year to commemorate the 400 years that have passed actually hit the shore of this country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this piece was called The Black Art of Escape, A New Vision for Black Americans. And in part two of that essay, that this beautiful essay, which if you haven't read, if you haven't read it, it is absolutely amazing. Um, it is long. Might as well be a short story. <laughs> but it is. It is so good. It's, it is. Yeah. It's really good. It talks on, it speaks on respectability politics. It speaks on the movement martyrdom. It speaks on most importantly what freedom actually means and. Freedom also counts as, you know, not participating. Um, yeah. And I think the beauty of the piece and how it, and I love how it connects with Clean and Slim is because of, you know, the conversation around being a martyr, you know, being in the movement. Me personally, mm-hmm. as an organizer that has, you know, been doing this organizing work and, you know, fighting against police violence now for about five years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't often think about breathing and mm-hmm. taking a break and separating myself. And I wonder, you know, is there a possibility that I might die when I go out there? Um, but I'm sorry, say it one more time. Um, is there a possibility that I might die? Um, mm-hmm. You know, back in 2018, when we marched for Shakisha Clemens. You know, uh-huh. we wrote our phone numbers, you know, on our arms because, you know, we thought we would be arrested. Um, mm. You know, Al Sharpton Al told, told us, I'll, I'll pay your bail, bail, which I was like, you know, appreciate that, Al. Because uh, my mama <laughs> told me I'm not getting you out of prison <laughs> or jail. Um, you're on your own if you're in Sierra Land. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a black it, mama for you. No, uh, it, it really is. Uh, but, Watching Queen and Slim, it's just the one thing that I always realize, and this can also tie into, you know, our review of the film, as well as like our discussion around the essay, but just the idea of them escaping. Um, Mm -hmm. These were two people that knew that their lives no longer belonged to themselves the moment um, that that police officer was shot. And um, this is a spoiler, you know, obviously this podcast is going to have heavy spoilers. So if you have not seen Queen and Slim and you've been under a rock, 
um, don't listen to this podcast. Because um, that's all we're going to talk about. <laughs> but if you have, I, you know, there's obviously been a lot of frustration with the film, obviously with its ending, um, and also with the protest scene and things of that nature. I know that when we talk, we talk specifically, and I'm kind of sick, guys. I really do appreciate um, really do apologize. Um, I'm a little under the weather. Montgomery's weather has been kicking my ass. Um, the change in temperatures. Yeah, yeah. The drop in temperature, and then it comes right back up, and my, my yeah. nose has just been stopped up. So I apologize um, if you hear my congestion problems. But uh, we could just dive right into it. You told me the other day that you didn't have a problem with the film, and I was just like, what? Like, I knew when you watched it, I was like, I know when Kia watches this shit. She's going to hate it. <laughs> See, I was sitting in the theater and I was like, I don't hate this. Because I had heard all of, like, I'd been reading tweets and I was prepared to, like, go in and hate it. I didn't hate it. Now, there were moments when I cringed. And I think the first moment that I really cringed was during that protest scene. It, um, I was really taken aback by it. But what drew me in first, talk about the good first, was it's beautifully shot. Um, yes. It, it is a gorgeous film, it, um, and it's just aesthetically pleasing on the eye to watch. And uh, what's interesting is when I was thinking back on it, some of my favorite scenes, like close to the end of the movie when he leans out the window with the blunt in his hand like it is beautiful it is gorgeous but then you get to the end and you're like damn like I I had all this joy around this moment and it led up to them dying on the tournament yeah and at the very end when um I don't remember his name the guys count his money and you see all this hundreds thousands of dollars and the cup of noodles was sitting there like that is a beautiful shot that is full of a bull you know um so yeah um I was surprised um I was surprised I liked it but um like I said the first moment when I really cringed was that protest scene because you see this teen boy and you know that he's angry and he's upset and he said like he wants to he wants to leave a legacy and be a legend and he's really admiring Queen and Slim but then when he runs back even when he runs back you're like okay I get this he's he's angry he's tired of like turning away and he wants to face it head on but then, out of nowhere, this kid who has shown no, like, there was no buildup to his character for us to, to lead up to him pulling out this gun. And it was just, it was a really confusing moment. And um, uh, that's, how, that's how I feel. I was like, what? Yeah. That's, that's literally what I said when I was watching. I was like, how did we get here? I was like, yes. first thing I said is like, how do we get here? And the second thing I said was, why they fucking in between this? <laughs> I'm like, but, I'm never gonna say no to, to to titties being in a film because titties. 
right? That's that's a really, you know, that's a very easy thing to sell me on. Like, I'm already there. Like, and they, you know, aesthetically pleasing be- again, very beautifully yes. shot. Yes, very beautifully shot. Like they just capture. I haven't seen somebody capture nipples so perfectly since. Uh, <laughs> Spike Lee. Like oh, Spike, uh, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, so I'm just appreciative. No, no we're not going to go there. <laughs> we're, we're not going to go there. <laughs> but I think what's really interesting about this film in particular is just like, we're not given, because we're not given that backstory, it's almost like we're robbed of like having that connection to mm-hmm. him. So when his life is taken, like, I'm just more so confused. Yes. Like, instead of actually feeling something towards him like I did with, you know, Angela and Ernest um, or Queen and Slim and Jody and Daniel, um, the actors and actresses who play these people. And I didn't even want the sex scene. Like, it was cool when I, t- I talked about that because I was like, the intimacy that they had with one another was enough for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it was that unspoken, you know, energy but between them that was you know it was necessary and it was something that you said in our conversation that you were saying it was like look they all they got so yes if, if we go if, if we gonna bump uglies then we gonna bump uglies because this might be the last time that I actually get a chance to do it so and you know uh, what uh, I thought about when I was reading Casey's article that was them escaping they are living yes. like this traumatic experience but the beauty of the film that that got lost in the commentary that I saw around the film was in all this trauma and all of this like horrific thing that they are going through, they find moments to escape when they go to the nightclub and they're in their safe space, when they're riding the horses uh, and when they're having sex in the, the, the car, like all this stuff is going on around them, but they are finding moments when they can have pure joy and I saw that as like really related to the black experience because another thing that came up in Casey's article was like we have been through a lot of trauma since I think he started it in 2015 so I'm reading this and I'm like oh damn I forgot that even happened like yeah the bombing in Texas I completely forgot about that I think it's I don't know if I knew the resolution to the case. Like, when I was reading that, I was like, had I heard this before? So it, it, it made me think about, like, how much trauma we encounter, even just taking in the news, and how and our different ways of escaping. So mm. that, that was part of the beauty of the film to me, to see that. Yeah, like, I think for me, like, when I was reading his piece and I was sitting there with myself and I'm like, damn, somebody really did get, like, they really did, like, blow people up in Texas. And And we don't know why. Like, We still don't don't know why. There's a 20-minute confessional that no one, that the public has never heard. Yes. And so what's really, and also what's really strange to me is that the automatic belief and the automatic assumption that it wasn't race related Mm -hmm. and um, the way that cops automatically are like, we are not going to go, we're not, we're going to do everything we can 
not to play that big joker right now. <laughs> yeah. Like we, yeah. And like the sigh of relief, you know, when two white people, you know, were injured and, and died. Um, mm. They were like, this is not racially motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, but for black folk, because we live in this constant state of fear for our lives and we're, and as you said, we're so desensitized to this now. We're so used to trauma and we're numb to it. We know it's like what my, my grandma used to say, black people be knowing. Like, yeah, we, we like we know as soon as the story breaks that, you know, nine times out of 10, it had to do with the color of someone's skin. Like even explain, even explaining Oscar Grant's murder and all of yes. these other people. Like it was the same thing. Like we know these endings. And this is why I was saying in my review, like and, and not so review of this movie is that I think we have to get to a certain point. Like, I love the fact that we can tell the truth, you know, of the atrocities that we face. These are, these stories are not for us. Mm-hmm. These stories are really to make white people feel uncomfortable. Like, if we're just being honest about it. Um, I never feel like, like, I never felt like Queen, and like, I feel like Queen and Slim was for black people. Mm-hmm. But I always, but I really felt like Queen and Slim was another movie for white folks to understand that in the world that we live in, our bodies do not belong to ourselves. Whether yeah. we, whether a police officer is murdered or not, like every single day is a constant fear for us, and we know that when somebody's life, when somebody takes the life of a police officer, like it's a death sentence. Uh-huh. Um, and even in our frustration with police, you never see black folk actually kill police in this frustration. That's why the scene with the young black boy killing the cop who was a cop who was actually just asking him to leave. And it's, mm-hmm. I feel so conflicted with that because I have such an issue with police state, but I also under the, understand that these people are human beings. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And these people still have families that they have to come back home to. I hope to live in, I know that I will probably never see the day that I will live in a world without police, but I can dream and I can work towards a, a world where my community is so safe that I don't have to call police. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's fair. But in that moment where he is facing this police officer and he shoots this man, asking him to leave, I'm like, Okay, what do y'all want me to do right now? Yeah, like, yeah, and then yeah. because like, at this point I'm just like, okay, I'm over this movie. This is trash. I never <laughs> want to watch this again. Like, and I just sat there kind of numb for the rest of the time being because I was like, if you take this scene out of the movie, it's like nothing changes. And I yeah. think that was so, the one thing that kind of frustrated me the most. And I think it's it's. I wish whatever she wanted to do with that scene was developed more. Like, are we supposed to see Black police officers as conflicted human beings who are um, towing this line between the um, racial oppression that comes from police officers and, like, having solidarity with people who look like them? And I think we see that with the other Black police officer who comes up a little later. Or... And if that is what we're supposed to see, does that erase the Black officers who also perpetuate anti-Blackness 
mm. use their badge to perpetuate anti-blackness. Like, um, it was it was so quick uh, that interaction that I'm not sure what we were supposed to get out of that. But I will say this: that actor, I do not know his name, but he acted the hell out of that scene because the shock on, that came across his face when he oh. realized he had shot the police officer, I was like, yes. I'm like, you shot young too? Man. Right. Like, we were all in the theater looking the same. Like, this nigga really did this. And and because, and you know what's really funny? Like, because George Zimmerman is always in the news for something mm. stupid. Um, uh-huh. But everybody's always like, y'all do this, but y'all won't kill George Zimmerman. Like, imagine, like, when when these cops kill these people, y'all get on the internet and say, "Well, y'all won't pull up on these cops and kill them." Do you know it's how difficult that is? Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. do you realize? Like, even the Panthers back in the six back in the late sixties and the seventies knew, like, we're gonna defend ourselves, like with these guns. But having these guns was enough for cops to feel threatened by them. Right. Yeah. But there was never like there was never a we're going to go out. We're just going to go out here and kill these cops. It was we're going to arm ourselves to defend ourselves um, in this. There, there's an outcast lyric that says I'm going to mess it up. But it's an Andre 3000 lyric where he talks about um, how we're always talking about our guns, but they got stuff that'll blow out our back from where they stay at. Like you can't outgun police officer, which is you never you never be able when, to. Like you can't do that. And as much as we want to defend and protect ourselves, there it also it also creates it reinforces the stereotype and leads to people thinking that their violence towards us is justified. It's really it's really messed up either way. And um I don't know what the answer was. And I, I just don't know what what we were supposed to take away from that scene. And I, I also still, didn't realize he was dead. I, I do appreciate us not having to see him die on screen. Oh, if I had to see him die on screen, I would have walked out. I'm like, mm, yes. you know what? I'm I'm good on that. I'm yes. I'm real, real I, good on I, that. Like, I <laughs> Lena has been catching a lot of heat for what we saw. So I just want to name that I appreciate that we did not have to watch that baby die on screen and kind of just learned about it. I would have also loved to know more about his dad's reaction. Because what was interesting is his dad clearly didn't approve of what was going on, but his dad also sent his son out with these cop killers who he didn't approve of. So I just, I really wondered, to me, that creates, like, grief and internal struggle and self-blame. Like, why did I send my son out here? What did they tell him? And if we were going to go that way, I would have loved to have got a little bit more of that. I mean, but the movie was, the movie was pretty long for a movie, wasn't it? So it was, it was pretty long for a movie. I do have to admit that is true. Um, I want to say also. We were talking about um I, I have it up actually because um what is it? Runtime for the movie is I think two hours and twelve minutes. I don't know if that's yeah. 
two hours and two hours. That's that's pretty. I will say that is pretty long. Uh huh. Because Marvel movies don't even be that long. And you know what? It what I will say is it did not feel long to me. No, it didn't. Uh, it, it, there it was ran, another. Yeah. I, um, I think what get, was it? The Spike Lee movie that came out a couple years what, ago about the police what, officer as well. Um, Black Lantern. Yes. Now that one started feeling long to me in theater. I had also like gotten four hours of sleep and had gotten off a plane, so maybe that was it. But I was in that theater like, can we wrap this on up? I didn't get that feeling from uh, Queen and Swim. Yeah, I can understand that. I I didn't feel like it was long because I was so captured by the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Like, I also didn't like that they didn't talk. I also loved that they didn't talk a lot. Like, there wasn't a lot of dialogue, really, in this movie. Like, outside of them arguing, you know, most uh-huh. of the time, like, at the beginning, yes. it was really just them, like, hiding. Like, mm-hmm. I love that all of the sub-characters, like her cousin, who, you know, well, was that her uncle or was that her cousin? Or was her, her uncle. Her uncle, yes. Her uncle, who was responsible for killing her mother, like him having PTSD and living in New Orleans. Also, I just want to say, this movie makes no sense when it comes to traveling. Howard, you start <laughs> in Cleveland. I just want to say this because it makes no sense. They started in Cleveland, drove through Kentucky, got to New Orleans, skipped Mississippi and uh, Alabama and got to Georgia. I have no idea. Oh, why they How were going to? And did they go to Savannah? Yes, which is like not on the so way to Miami go. at all. At all. Like, <laughs> like I understand you want to go to your mama's grave, baby, but come on, come on, baby girl. I like. I pointed that out to one of my homies. I was like, "Yo, I get that this is kind of like a love letter to the South because it's showing like these holes mm. in the walls." Which you know, that's harkens, a good point. I didn't think of that. It, it's very much a love letter to the South because it shows so much, so much of the beautiful parts, so much of the most beautiful parts of this movie is the parts that are shot in Georgia and in Louisiana. Um, you know, outside of the shots that are in Cleveland, which are very few because it's at nighttime. You know, mm-hmm. all of the shots during the day are in the South, like. So when I'm sitting there and watching the film, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not being biased because I I was born in Mississippi and I'm raised in Alabama, but how the hell do you skip those two states and you end up in New Orleans? <laughs> like you had to you had to go up. So like you had to take I-10 at some point in I-65 North and cut through Atlanta to get through Savannah. This makes no sense. I was like, where is like where are y'all? How did y'all not cross through Missouri coming from Cleveland? I was like, I, I don't get this. It doesn't make, I, I tried to plot that point on a map. I really felt stupid and frustrated because I got on my iPad, went to maps, and I said, I'm going to plot out this drive based on oh what God. I watched to try to make sense of this. I was really a Virgo for like 20 minutes, and I was like, because this shit don't make sense. 
And they didn't have any gas money this whole time. How did <laughs> they, they not have gas money? Unnecessary roundabout. And you don't have the gas money. Like, did nobody buy no pay, pay as you go phones? Like, with no <laughs> traces? Like, y'all could have bought a flip phone. <laughs> Somebody could have got y'all a flip phone. I do want to say this about New Orleans. I appreciate her uncle as a character. I think he's one of the, my favorite characters I've seen on screen. Because I don't want to call him complex, but there's so much there. And it just, it made sense to me. Like, we understand his PTSD. We understand the conflict in their relationship. And we see him being so loving and kind. And we also see him being a misogynistic asshole. And, all in one. And, and all of this, you like him and you understand him. And he showed up to that funeral sharp in his Sean John uh, Valor jumpsuit with the that, black I, I think, if anything, like Sean John made a really big comeback after this movie. Because <laughs> I was Thank like, you, all, these velour suits, all these velour suits y'all got in this movie. Oh my goodness. Next winter, everyone will Next... be in Sean John Valor, and it will be all thanks to Lena. <laughs> And you know what's really funny? I was just in Birmingham um, at uh, Young Democrats for America. I was telling you this. And um, mm-hmm. there was a girl that was there from Indiana, and she works for uh, Pete's uh, campaign uh, from okay. South Bend. And she was saying, and no, she wasn't saying anything. She was wearing a velour suit. And the first thing I thought about was baby fat. That was the first thing that came to mind. Second thing <laughs> yes. that came to my mind was, <laughs> second thing that came to my mind was Oh, this is very Queen and Slim-esque. I'm like, I want these to make a, uh, a comeback. I don't like the Nike track suits. Like the Nike uh, tech suit, tech track suits that they be wearing. Yes. Um, yes. I call those the, that's the equivalent of, uh, I can't even think of uh, something that women wear all the time, constantly. I'm but going bring, for it, though. Bring the, bring the velour suits back. I'm, I'm definitely yeah. looking for velour suits coming back. But you know, thinking about, you know, the Black art of escape and, like, thinking about these people being free and, you know, what I was getting at was, I love that we can create movies that tell our truth, mm-hmm. the, the realities that we face, but I hope one day that we can start creating films where the realities that we want to be, the reality that we want to see can be on film as well. Um, and you were actually talking about Asada, and you know, I wanted you to kind of touch on that. You were talking about that, you know, on the internet, and, yeah. you know, in regards to the film, um, because you read someone else's, um, yes, oh, of the film. And oh. I wanted you to touch on that. Elaine Brown, who was the only woman to lead the Black Panther Party in the 60s, am I right? 60s, 70s? Y'all know what it is. Yeah. Um, She wrote a very strongly worded criticism of the Twitterers do nothing, nurse, um, and their critique of the film uh, in regards to the martyrdom. And she Mm -hmm. saw it as really erasing those of her generation who had given their life and saying that um, and saying that 
their their death did not contribute to the liberation. She was very offended by um, by some of the critiques that she saw online. And what that made me wonder is, like, what does Shasha say about this film? Like, how, as someone who actually made it to Cuba, who did what Slim and Queen were trying to uh, achieve, like, I, I wonder what she would think of this story, what she would think about um, the whole idea that is it possible in this day and age, the role of, that the community plays, um, in helping them make it as far as they do and then to get to the end and have it all fall apart because of this one person who is supposed to all skin folk and kin folk who, right, who looks like he would be the one who is down for the cause. If anything, we thought the um, white military man's wife would have been the weakest link. Oh, not only that, I thought the father of the son who was killed would be the mm-hmm. biggest mm-hmm. because he was a person that did not agree with their cause, yes. even though yes. he did not understand the nuance of the situation. Uh-huh. Um, and he didn't understand, like, I mean, he knew, I think, I think he knew what killing a cop meant, that their lives didn't belong to themselves, but I also think that he was trying to just think of the, the silver lining of, well, this is what you should have done. And it uh-huh. kind of speaks to that whole respectability politics conversation that, you know, Casey was having in, you know, the Black Art of Escape. Like this, like being respectable is not going to save you. And I think he kind of realized, and we'll never know because we weren't really shown, but, mm-hmm. you know, being respectable, like, teaching your son to be respectable didn't save your son because he still made, you know, a conscious decision to go, you know, live forever and be a martyr. Mm-hmm. Um, and Slim I, I, in the movie, he was very respectable. Even in their exchange with the police officers, he was your stand-up respect, God-fearing guy. Yes, sir. No, sir. The worst he did was say, can I get in the car? It's cold outside, you know? And that didn't save him. Right. Can and we I also think... talk about this mm-hmm. one thing? If yes, you please, walk away please. with nothing else from Queen and Slim, do not go through a man's phone. None of Never. this would have happened if she would have given him his phone. Yes. Like, he just stop going not... through phones. <laughs> stop going through phones in 2020. Like, I don't, if you don't pay the phone, if you don't pay the bill on this person's phone, don't go through that phone. Like you went and you went through a man's phone that wasn't your man. On the first date. On the first date. Yeah, we like we may not speak again after this. I'm I'm over this. She had no intentions of going out with him again. And now y'all on the run because you were nosy. Because you was nosy. It's your own fault. Listen, nosiness will get you a two hour and ten a twelve minute film. Uh (laughs) On the run through the South, except for Alabama and Mississippi. Except for Alabama and, and Mississippi. Still don't make no sense. Or Florida, for that matter, because they never actually went to Miami, um, which is where they were supposed to go. Right. Um, but <laughs> still, I wanted, like, I would have loved to walk out of that movie seeing them make it. 
and I, I, go ahead. I, I get the point of them dying. Uh-huh. It's that I just sometimes I want something different, and there uh-huh. were a lot of people who wanted something different. Yeah, it doesn't make it. It doesn't make the film bad. The film is not bad, and I want people to. I don't want anybody who, you know, hears this who thinks Jason, you hate the film. I don't hate the movie. Right. Like, I I don't hate the movie at all. I think the movie was brilliantly shot. I thought that there were great scenes with really great acting in it. I thought the minor characters played such a big role as the major characters. I love that yeah. there was a. I love that there was a trans woman on the big screen. Like, and she wasn't and, playing a trans woman. Yeah, she wasn't playing a trans she, woman. She the was only playing a woman. She was just playing a woman, like yes. And the only way you knew she was trans is if you knew the actress, which was yes. amazing to see. Like that's what I wanted in a movie, you know. Yeah. What? Yeah. But that protest scene still don't make no damn sense. Um, I, about the ending. The, Go and ahead. The, yeah, and the ending. While I do appreciate that the ending is a harsh reality that we all face and is something necessary that we do have to watch um, at times. It just, you rooted for these people for two hours and then the last two minutes of this movie, you know, they're gone. And then you get Lauren Hill singing as the credits roll and you're like, well, goddamn. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? What am so I supposed to do with all of this? I think the critiques that this was trauma porn, the ending was trauma porn, are fair because it, it, even me who waited like a week and a half to go and see the film, um, I knew they died at the end. I was not expecting the bullet when it came the way it came. So it was, it was shock. And I was like, dang, why am I watching this? So I can only imagine the reaction had I not known how the film ended, how that would have affected right, me. Right. The ending, so I completely get, and after, like, you fall in love with these characters and you watch them brutally and unnecessarily murdered by um, this uh, police force, an entire police force, and these two unarmed people who are just standing and walking and their hands are in the are, like, visible, like, um, that is hard to watch, especially when we go back to Casey's article and we talk about all of this trauma that we have endured over the years and then to see this on screen. I get that. Um, I don't know if I personally, and I really want to say we collectively, would have been any less critical if they hopped on the plane and made it to Cuba because that feels easy. That yeah, is. we want to win, but it's like, I, I don't know if that ending is satisfying. And that has just left me for the past 24, 48 hours. Like, how do you end this film? What is what is an ending that makes sense? And I, I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. And I think that's also something that I think that's fair to say. Like, yes, I want to see a happy ending, but also at the same time, happy ending can be really cheesy. It's something that mm-hmm. I've kind of it's something I've kind of struggled with in the conversation because people are like, "Well, what kind of ending do you want to see?" I'm like, "To be honest with you, I don't know." 
I just know I didn't want to see that. Um, it, I would have rather. It made like, me wonder were... about set it off. Like, did we yes. appreciate the set it off ending where like everyone dies but Jada? You know, she got away. So I wonder, like, is that the balance that would have worked here? I don't know. It, it and that's what's kind of confusing about all of it because it's like. Also, it goes back to the thing is like, what do people actually want? Um, what do you like to be a filmmaker is, is really tough. And I give people a lot of credit when they're when they're filmmakers, because we ask these people to do a lot. And mm-hmm. it's it's not perfect at all. Like mm-hmm. you're going to hate like you're not going to love everything about a movie. Um, you're not going to. Like, it's not going to be perfect, but it's something and you should be able to process it. Um, I also don't believe that everything is trauma porn. I think trauma porn was a very overused phrase during all of this Mm. conversation. Mm. Uh, Like, say more, Jason. Everything is a trauma porn. And I think it got overused like a lot. Trauma porn would have been that little boy getting shot in the movie. Like, if I had to watch that on yep. top of seeing them die. That would have been yep. trauma porn for me. Yep. Like, yep. And even in their death, like, is it extreme? Slightly? But is it trauma porn? No. Like, I know what trauma porn looks like because I see black people get killed by the police all the time. Like, mm-hmm. explicitly with no censorship or no, like, regard for decency or children, or black people, like, they show it all the time, like, I know what What I will say, that ending was also realistic, and I think that's another part that makes us uncomfortable, and I think that goes back to the point you were making earlier about, like, this being for white people to make it realistic for them. I don't think any black person needed to see that ending scene to know how um, to know that things end like that on a regular basis. But to see, and it was interesting that it was a white woman who fired the shot too. Yes, I thought that was that, also very yeah. very important. That it was yeah it was very very interesting and it was very very. I wasn't shocked because when all else failed, you can always count on a white woman. Uh, I mean, and the two white women were like some of the some of the worst people in the movie. You know, yes. they were the ones. Yeah. So, and even actually, the neighbor who snitched, who was across the street, mm-hmm. that was a white woman who was sitting on the porch. I think so. Um. The one because one character that we haven't really talked about is the one who actually snitched. <laughs> it got the money. Oh gosh. Uh like we still what have is his t- name in the movie. I, I have to go yeah. back to the, I don't let me go back to the movie credits. That's fine. I'm really I, I did not pick up character's name. I I just call him dude with the golds. <laughs> well, our dude with the golds. <laughs> um <laughs> I was, it kind of, he kind of gave it away because everything was just a little bit too easy. Uh Um, But what Uh I will say about Do With The Goals is that it's not surprising to me that 
you know, a black person is the person who obviously sells them out, right? However, uh-huh. it didn't have to be a black person to sell them out. And it didn't have to be the most niggas, the most niggish of the niggas to sell them out. Like so come on, I had man. a converse I had a conversation with a friend about that. I won't say her name because I have I don't wanna TI her and I have not had permission to disclose Let's our conversation. <laughs> but um that conversation like why is it with the goal to be the one to sell them out? And I one thing that I did notice um in the commentary around the film that was coming out was some people, I, I'm trying not to speak definitively on this, but people's assumptions uh, that Lena has certain issues with aspects of blackness or that um, this I some of her quotes have been viewed from the guise of like, I'm a special Negro, and um, yeah, 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 yeah. She, yeah she's I, one of them, as as the internet calls them, she's one of the blabbity blacks. Yes, um, yes. So I hate and, to say that because blabbity loves our podcast. Um, <laughs> they shouted us out on Instagram. Um, internet, the internet does what the internet does. So I mean, it was. I would love. And I don't know, had she spoken about that? I would love to know why he was the character chosen to. I don't think she has. She did speak on the young boy dying without trying to spoil it. Uh Uh-huh. And she was saying how, I can't remember how she put it. I want to say she was, she said it's something in the vein of like, you know, the youth are watching what we do in these moments and they can, you know, take actions based on, like, what they see, and that includes being martyrs. Now, that's never happened. And, so, and that's why and, I felt like that was a lot to say, because I was like, mm-hmm, what? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I still remember that boy who went out to go protest. I can't remember if that was in Ferguson, and his mama came out there, because he was out there protesting, and he she, like, dragged him by his arm. I do remember that. I can't remember if that was in Ferguson or if that was in Baton Rouge. And you know what? That really gives... Now, this isn't what happened in the movie, but I could see this teen's dad, uh, who was the auto body man, uh, the auto shop man, I could see him doing something similar, you know? Because... uh, Like, it comes from a place of protection and wanting to protect your kid. And that is one of the parts of the movie that was really telling or that was really refreshing and it felt like a love letter to community to me. So Mm -hmm. many people put their freedom on the line to help Slim, Queen and Slim get through this. From Mm -hmm. the uncle and his girls to the white guy and his wife to everyone who was in that club to the auto body guy like what are we willing to sacrifice to put on the line to truly resist and to organize and to help those who are in jeopardy? And that was a mirror I held up to my face because I was like, I don't know if I would let 
my niece coming to my house because the police officers have seen this truck. Now, how am I going to explain this without going to jail? And I think that's part of, like, we didn't really, we got a little of it with Slim's dad when Slim's dad hung up the phone and they threatened to arrest him. But the police really didn't put pressure on the people who were helping them escape. We didn't see that happening a lot. And I think that's the reality that happens in real life. And, like, Mm -hmm. what does resistance really look like um, Mm. in a community um, when you put your freedom and your livelihood on the line to help people who are justified in their actions but are up against a system that wants to destroy them and all the energy that they are bringing? This is why I say often that people are ready for revolution because people are ready to die. And I think that, and I think that really gets back to what Elaine Brown said in her statement. That was very strongly worded. Yes, it was. Yeah. (laughs) Because I read it and I was like, "Whoo!" Yeah. (laughs) Elaine came to gather the people. I was like, "Oh, yikes!" Okay. (laughs) Um, Also, they don't really give his name, but. Somebody really, um, I'm reading this now, and it says, uh, like the black man who sells them out, he's a victim of capitalism. And in that moment, you're thinking, you're not mm-hmm. thinking of your values. You're, think, you're just thinking, how am I going to eat? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what that man was thinking in that moment. And it kind of just harkens back to like what you're saying, like when you're talking about, when you're working in the movement, and you, you know, we're talking about freedom and we're, you know, you're trying to protect people you have to think about yourself. It's just like that mother who drags, you know, her child mm-hmm. off of the streets to protest. Um, and also, I think people get it really confused. Like, if you talk to some people that were born in the 1950s uh, that are still living to this day in Selma, and I've actually, one time I went to some, this was years ago when I was in college, and I remember a guy was born in like 1945 or something like that. And it was 1955. He said it was 1955 or something of that nature. He was like 10 years old. And he got arrested for fighting for the right for marching. He he left school to Mm -hmm. go march for the right to vote. And they packed these kids into a two-man cell. And he showed us the cell that they were packed into. And I remember I asked him, yo, I get that a lot of people went out there to go fight. But were there people that really wouldn't let their kids go out there? And he was like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. He was like, honestly, he's like, I hate that that's not talked about enough. Mm. As As many people as there were who supported the efforts of the CL of the SCLC of the NAACP of Martin Luther King of all of these different organizations that were doing this work, there were just as many of them that thought them niggas was crazy, um, and that thought that their children were never going to be a part of something like that, and would mm-hmm. beat their kids' ass if they were ever a part of something like that, and mm-hmm. it was only out of trying to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. we call, we get mad at these people, or we think negative about these people. But the one thing that we're not acknowledging is these people live like one. If they were parents during that time, 
then their grandparents probably, you know, were just recently freed from slavery if we're mm-hmm. doing a, a, a year count. Um, <laughs> by mm-hmm. recently removed by two generations from slavery. Mm-hmm. And they had experienced some of the most treacherous racial domestic terrorism ever. Mm-hmm. Like, so many cities, so many massacres, so many riots happened during that time. Of course, I wouldn't want my, my daughter or my son to go out there and protest. And so when we see this father in this movie, when we see this man who sells them out, it's it's kind of the same thing. Like, when they're thinking about themselves, mm-hmm. like, that mm-hmm. father was devastated because you know, no matter what he did to try to protect his son, his son still went out there and made that decision for himself. And he caught, and it cost him his life. Um, And for that other young man who, you know, sold them out, the only thing that he was thinking about was making a check, like getting 200 to getting a quarter of a million dollars, which is a lot of money to somebody who's broke. Here's, Here's the thing that I was left holding. How does, because I'm watching this whole thing and it actually started for me when they ordered the bourbon in the little speakeasy type club and the bartender grabs his hands and says, you're safe here. That is when I started really watching that film from a community aspect. And Mm. so when we get to the end of the film and this man is sitting here with his cup of noodles and this 200, uh, it was 500,000, like 250,000 for both of them. And he's yeah, counting his money. How does he go back into community? Like, mm. where does, like, the whole nation, the whole Black community throughout the nation has been surrounding these people um, and protesting in support of them. And now here he is, has fallen victim to his capitalist. Um, ambitions has this half a million dollars and does he just walk back into the community that he's so brazenly betrayed Hmm. what happens now and I wonder is like did anyone know because also I was watching um, Watchmen and I don't want to spoil it if you're not watching on HBO it's great. I need to it's, watch it. I, I keep hearing how good it is. It's the best show on TV. Uh, I've never seen a show show the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre, and it never mm-hmm. felt like. Remember when I was saying earlier that black trauma that that term has been kind of heavy handed uh-huh. and overused within the last week because of this movie. Uh huh. I was saying like this show is a masterclass on writing one because amazing. Um, Uh but for a show's opening scene to be the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre and for it not to feel like black trauma, like talent, that is talent. Like give it all of the awards. Like it will clean sweep, uh, when it's finally up for golden globes and it's up for Emmys, like, because I've never seen a show and I credit HBO for, you know, giving them the license to do this. And I credit those writers for being willing to go there um, and start a show with such a scene as that. And I thought about Queen and Slim. You know, I thought about all of these movies and I thought about Black Trauma just in general. 
but there was a scene just recently in the last episode, and um, one of the characters was talking about, he was like, yo, I saved the world years ago, but nobody knows. Mm. And I have to just live like only like five people know that I actually saved the world. Now, I'm not saying that this man saved the world by snitching by any right, stretch. Right. But what I'm saying right. is he can't actually outwardly say, you know, what he did. What he did. He has to actually live with that for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I think the story in that is that money is never going to be enough for him. You know, mm-hmm. he he still has to lay his head down at night. Now, whether he say lays his head on silk on silk sheets, and, you know, um, on a bed full of money is up to him. But, you know, that money is not going to last. And that's still going to be something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. And you can never tell your community what you did. You know, if yeah. your community finds out that you're the person who died these two people just because you wanted some money, they will hate you forever. And maybe worse, they might kill you. That's stressful living, and I'm not sure that $500,000 is, is enough, enough to comfort that. $500,000 isn't enough to dismiss country. It, that's not really a lot of money. It's not. It's. I mean, you might can make that last forever, but if I come into $500,000 today, I'm not quitting the job. I'm still going to have to keep a job. Yeah, I'm I, I'm not quitting my job. I, I just can't do that. I, I, I dream about winning the lottery a lot, so I know exactly what my, okay, I can quit my job and make this work number is. It is not 500000 500000 is not the, it's not the magic number. It would help <laughs> a lot. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it ain't the Let's magic number. Let's not get it wrong. But um, Kia, just tell us. Um, so one, we're, we've wrapped up. It's been an hour. You know, we've talked extensively about this movie. We've talked extensively about uh, the Black Art of Escape. Um, now this movie is, you know, this movie is now forever out there. Um, what do you what are your final thoughts that you want that you left you know now that you've processed this movie you know you've had a chance to process it for like about you know a little bit over 24 hours um Mm -hmm. how do you feel now like one thing that the best lesson actually that seminary taught me was to take hard text the stuff in the bible that really makes us uncomfortable and to use that as a mirror, to hold that up so that we can see, like, not necessarily what we're doing right, but what we're doing wrong, where we can improve, what we can do better. So I think a lot about that regarding the whole community aspect of uh, Queen and Slim. How can we build a strong community that? surrounds people when they need them, that supports and that's willing, that doesn't have these weak links, where that creates safe spaces for people like that club, where people can go and retreat from 
the racist violence that we suffer all the time and just be safe and all people like all black people can come into this space and be safe whether you're transgender whether you're queer like how do we really do the work to create spaces where we're all safe Mm. I think for me what is yours for me I think about I thought about the south and it kind of ties into that safe space. Um, I felt like this movie cinematography was a love letter to the South, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. And that scene in that juke joint meant a lot to me. Um, uh-huh. Family story time. So um, I have a great, great grandfather, great, great uncle. His name was Pink Barnes. Do not know why his name was Pink. Um, Oh, I just got a whole visual. um, I love it. I think he was light skin. Everybody (laughs) on my dad's side is light skin. But Pink was a bootlegger. And Mm -hmm. Pink also opened the first club in Hattiesburg, Mississippi called the Hi-Hat. It was a hole in the wall. Uh, He used that money. I mean, he used that uh, one, he used that club to wash his money uh, from bootlegging. Okay. Um, he would bring in local acts, but they would also bring in civil rights leaders. He also used uh-huh. that money to fund um, the first Negro baseball team in the city of Hattiesburg. Um, but the reason wow. I think about him in like creating the hi hat back then was like it was this safe space for Black folk. Because, you know, when black folks got free, the only thing that they could do was go to church and go to the club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. and even if I could escape from the reality of facing terror at every turn of my existence, especially at a time such as the, you know, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, 60s, the enti- our entire existence has always been in fear. But the fact that he was able to create this space and say, you can come in here, there's fried chicken. It's a smoke filled Mm -hmm. with whiskey and chicken wings. And you can have a good time and you can at least be able to forget the hell that is outside. And that scene was so special to me because they were literally running for their lives. But for that brief moment, they could literally let go of that. And even they in that escaped. piece, they escaped. And that was the art of black. That was the black art of escape for me. Yes. Um, that, was, that was their piece uh, that Casey talks about and that, uh, that he hints that Lauren Hill talks about in you know, her live you know, MTV Unplugged album which now yes. I want to go back and listen to I have that album somewhere in my garage that I feel like I have never listened to and this article made me want to go and grab it too it made, so, yes. it, made me, it made me want to go back and listen to it and it made me also think about the song from the movie they got Lauren to make music which is impossible um, full stop. Lena is stop bringing writing. back Sean John Lena has Lauren in the studio 
I don't know. Lita is doing for the culture. And like the the song is called Guarding, you know, Guarding the Gates and mm. you know, talking about, you know, being in love and um, you know, everybody wants what this is, but I'm guarding the gates to it because I know how special that it is. Mm. Like and that like stuck out so much. Jason, I can't hear you. hurts in that moment is that you can't really truly love someone if you're always on the run mm. and I think that's what like and that song is absolutely beautiful it's six minutes long and that I six minutes that six minutes feels like an eternity because I haven't heard Lauren make any music in like over two decades <laughs> Like maybe three, if I'm not like, well, okay, maybe two decades because I I can't remember when Unplugged came out, but like just listening to that song and it's a lot, it's very repetitive. It came out in 2002, so it's been it's been 18, eight going on 18 years since that album has been released, and so like hearing Guarding the Gates and when the movie credits rolled and that was the song in my mind before I saw the movie, I was like, that's gonna be the song that ends this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I know, like the moment I heard it when I heard the soundtrack, I was like, "This is gonna be the song that ends this movie." I just, there's no way that it's not. And then it released, and then the movie, you know, obviously, you know, they're shot, and then the first thing you hear is Lauren's voice when those credits roll, and you're like, "Jesus!" And I sat there for a minute and I listened to the song as Same. the credits were rolling. And it felt different hearing that song. I haven't listened to it again very, like, very much because that scene was a lot for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I appreciate her words and her artistry in that moment. Um, It reminded me, one, to respect Lauryn Hill because she is a GOAT (laughs) as much as I don't think she's been. I don't think having four 16s makes you a rapper. Um, Lauryn Hill is (laughs) Oh, don't do this. Lauren Hill is an R&B singer who had four really cold 16s on her first album ever. It's okay. But, but okay. So, but here's the thing. You're not taking into consideration the work she did with the food. I'm I'm not. But at the same time, her solo career is her being a singer. And that's okay. I'm not trying to limit her or place her in a box. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying. She's a Mm -hmm. very, she's one of the greatest singers probably the greatest singer of her musical generation like without question um, two things and then because i know we have to end yes one thing that was really beautiful that we did not point out was the score of the movie oh. like 
every time a song popped up, it was just as amazing as the cinematography. It's one of the yeah the the songs that were selected for this movie. Like yeah. this is one of the best soundtracks I've heard as of recent. Like, mm. and a lot of it is original music. Like, mm. so, like, from Megan Thee Stallion's Ride or Die, like, for it to be a bounce song and they're in New Orleans, that just felt great. Yeah. You know, Sid's getting laid. They have Bilal and Raphael Sadiq on the same song. Um, yeah. You know, they yeah. have Burner Boy. They even had Lil Baby on you. Like, it was... Yeah! <laughs> like, I, I was love, really excited. I man. love this soundtrack. I can't yeah. tell people enough. You can yeah. play it top to bottom. It is amazing. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie and you still listen to this, you a dumbass, but I love you anyway. Um, the last thing, book recommendation, you were talking about like black people having space at the church and the juke joint. James Cone, who recently passed, black liberation theologian, has this mm. book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And he does, he gets all into like the black Jesus and the white Jesus, but he also talks about black safe spaces. And he talks a lot about those two places, the church and the juke joint, like jazz club. It's a really good read and people should read it. Okay. We will definitely put that in the show notes uh, for sure, for sure. Um, do you have anything else you want to give the people? I know we talked about to on the timeline. We didn't even get a chance to discuss it about the the whole bell hooks situation. <laughs> um, because I oh. I told people I'm officially so, so just so y'all know, uh, for the people who follow me on Twitter, um, I will no longer be arguing with with niggas on Twitter. I will be suggesting books to read, and I if I can find the PDF file for it. I will do you a favor, and I really shouldn't because Google's too free for it. No, make, make them pay. Mm, pay, um, pay these people who I mean, are teaching them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would encourage you to go buy Bell Hooks. Um, know what I mean. Uh, black men, I want to say that's uh, Black Masculinity. Uh, let me go back and find that book because I, I absolutely think that's book. Wow. Um, While you're looking for that, um, when T.I. was on Red Table Talk and he didn't quite understand patriarchy, I was really looking for his address so I could send him books to read so he could understand. So if I happen look, to cross where he gets his mail, I will be sending him that book. Look, you're going to send him that and he's never going to open his box because one, <laughs> he's going to think it's a bomb, um, which I low-key don't blame him. <laughs> Um, it's coming directly but, from Amazon, okay? <laughs> it's coming directly from Amazon. Um, the book that we were talking about, uh, specifically, there was a tweet on the timeline that said the greatest trick white feminism ever played was convincing black women that black men are the enemy. Um, Bell Hooks eloquently wrote that black men wanted black women to conform to the gender norms set by white society. They wanted to be recognized as, quote, men as patriarchs by other men, including white men. Yet they could not assume this position if black women were not willing to conform to the prevailing sexist gender norms, all right? So this quote comes from the book that has been mentioned, We Real Cool Black Men and Masculinity by Bell Hooks. Um, I'm not arguing with y'all about this shit no more because it's too easy. Like, 
Um, as as Raven would say, Google is too free for anybody to be stupid. Um, uh, so I will never um, not suggest. So no more arguing. Um, we're also going to add some bell hooks to the reading list for 2020. And I'm definitely going to consider adding the book that you just suggested for 2020 as well. Yeah. Um, so guys, uh, just, you know, church announcements as always, you know, remember um, we are reading Casey Gerald's. There will be no miracles here. If you enjoyed reading um, The Black Art of Escape, which I would encourage you to read just to get into the author. Um, it is a great read. It really kind of gives you just a taste of who Casey Gerald is. I'd also tell you to take check out his TED Talks. Um, he has the most adorable Southern voice. He is really from the middle of nowhere in Texas. Um, oh, wow. And it is a very thick Southern accent that, and he reads his book also in his audio book. And it just feels more personal listening to him read his, you know, um, obviously read his book um, while I, I like to listen and read it at the same time. Um, so I can feel like I'm, you know, in the room with him. But um, it's such an amazing book to read and him talk about his life story uh, coming from a small town in Texas to, to going to Yale. <laughs> mm. um, uh, and just him, you know, realizing all of in all of these different spaces, even attaining all of this wealth, fame, and notoriety, that it means nothing um, if you're not free. <laughs> so um, uh, please check that out. Uh, remember to so support your local bookstore if you can. Um, obviously, during uh, it's the Christmas season and we got uh, merch on sale. So uh, use the promo code RWB. Xmas to get 35% off on all the merch on the website. Remember to listen to all the past episodes of Reading While Black. Uh, we did a whole week where we released the episode every single day of the week. Um, starting with Bossy Igpe, we went to, we interviewed uh, Mr. David Johns from National Black Justice Coalition, two lovely women from the National LGBTQ Task Force. Maya Rupert, Julian Castro's campaign manager. If you have no idea who Maya Rupert is, she is amazing. Um, and also Michigan's youngest state house representative, Jewel Jones. So you can check all of those podcasts out on Reading While Black, including the two other episodes that I have with Miss Kia Speaks. Um, listen, to the, listen to the Gucci Man episode. It's the greatest episode that we ever made. I don't care. I, I, I don't even think. I love that so much. That was fun. I don't think we even really talked about the book. <laughs> we just talked about Gucci Man. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. So um, any other announcements, Keith? No, thank you for having me, Jason. Fun as it's always. Not, it's not a problem. As always, guys, um, if you don't do anything else, just stay black. Um, I love all of you guys. Have a wonderful weekend. Um, this will be coming out on Friday. Yeah. So have a wonderful weekend. And um, I'm going to pick up the book and always be reading, guys. All right. See you later. That concludes our episode of Reading While Black, guys. If you guys have not had a chance to read uh, The Black Art of Escape, um, please put that on your reading list. Um, 
It is a wonderful, brilliant essay. And like I said, before you guys really start reading There Will Be No Miracles Here, I would highly suggest um, that you read that. And also check the bio for links to some TED Talks that Casey Gerald has also given, just to give you guys a feel for the author that we're reading before you dwell into the book, um, obviously. But remember to pick up uh, there will be no miracles here. Support your local bookstore. If you live in the Montgomery, Alabama area, remember you can pick up the book at 1977 Books um, right here in downtown Montgomery. It is our liberation bookstore. It is also a resource guide and a safe space um, for people of color, for queer people, um, for oppressed people, period. Um, if you're looking for resources for organizing and things of that nature. And if you're looking to volunteer um, at the bookstore, they take volunteer hours as well. Um, the work that Allison and Steph are doing is absolutely amazing. And I would be a fool not to tell you about it on this podcast. Um, remember to check out our previous episodes that have been released. And also, if you liked our voice message uh, segment of the podcast, please remember to leave a voice message. I really enjoyed um, answering uh, Mr. Graham's question and I wanna answer your questions as well. I also want you guys, most importantly, to send us questions for the author. Um, this is an interactive podcast. This is an interactive book club. And I know obviously we can't be there face to face to have questions. So if you wanna have a conversation with myself and with the author, we really wanna encourage you guys to submit those questions and submit them every single week. Like if you you know listen to an older podcast and you have a question uh, for Mr. Johns or for you know Miss Davis, if you have a question for Maya Rupert about how to get more involved in campaign managing and working in politics, if you have a question about podcasting for myself and you know, where to go, what type of equipment to buy and things of that nature. I'm willing to answer all of those questions, guys. And also the author, any of my guests that have come on the show previously would love to answer those questions as well. Um, but that's going to be it for this week. Enjoy your weekend. I'm going to enjoy mine. Got some big news coming up very soon that I'll announce on some episodes to come. Remember to, you know, obviously pick up the book, continue reading, um, love yourselves this weekend, take a self-care day, uh, take some time to breathe, and remember to always be reading, guys. I love you guys so much. Um, see you later.